Psalm 136, 1 says these words. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. I want to read that again. And uh, I want you to read those words along with me this morning. As we enter this time in this season, we came out of the month of October celebrating our 10-year anniversary as a church. And I thought about, okay, so where do we go next? What do things look like? Where, where do we go from here? And as I thought about that and as, as I you know, prayed about it and really looked at you know, what we wanted to do, I, I knew I wanted to go into a Thanksgiving series. And it seems cliche, or maybe it seems like the, the normal thing that we would do, right? It seems like, well, that's the kind of the pattern of things. And, and I, kinda, I did that on purpose. I went ahead and just leaned into that reality. Um, because right now what we're doing is we're coming out of this time of October and uh, for, you know, just for me personally, as I think about that October, I think about the celebration of our church, about that 10 year anniversary, the way that God has been with us, the way that God's grace has worked through us, the way that we saw ourselves through those first seven, eight years, the time through the pandemic into this new season. And I continue to see the way that God energizes us, the way God is leading us, the way that as um, you know, a team and, and the board, as we come together and we talk through things and I cast the vision about where I see us going, the way that I see the energy building up about this new direction and this new way of doing things, the excitement that we have gathering together, thinking about the future. And there are all sorts of things about that and all sorts of uncertainty that go with it, right? I look back at seven years and I think about the uncertainty at the beginning. I think about uh, some of the excitement, some of the things that happened through those years. But I also think about that every step of the way, we stepped in faith into new ideas, into new ways of doing things. We tried, you know, we went to different facilities. We did different kinds of events. We tried all kinds of different things. And each way we took a step of faith, believing God's grace and his faithfulness was good. We gave thanks to him, as this passage says, because he is good. His love endures forever. His grace endures forever. His mercy endures forever. That he is the one who gives us our strength. That he is the one who provides for us through those seasons. And so as we come out of those 10 years, what I wanted to do was say, God, we are thankful. We are so thankful for what you did for us. Your grace and your goodness, your love and your mercy the way that you brought people together to form this community that we call Southeast. And then looking into those years that we were in, on, in, this, in that pandemic that we all wondered, what is next? Where do things go? What does normal look like? What does the future look like? We saw God's grace and his goodness, his faithfulness through us, taking us through that season. We come into a new season. We, we don't even know where the next steps begin to lead. We can see far enough ahead, but we don't see where the, where the road is beginning to curve. But we know that God has been good, and so we trust in his faithfulness and in his goodness as we continue to walk that road together. So I want to talk over these next few weeks about giving thanks giving thanks not just as a corporate body, thinking about our church and where we've been and where we are and where we're going, but thinking about our individual lives. Because as we come into this season, we think about the ways that God has been with us through this season. 
So I think about as we come into these moments, come into this, what things may look like us for. So now let's read that with all of that framed and all of that in mind. I want you to read this out loud with me. Jill, I think I told you I would have you just keep this on the screen, but I'll go ahead and have you put it full screen. So everybody that's with you in your homes, you can read this with me together out loud. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Read that again with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk through these individual passages. We're going we're gonna to explore this idea of giving thanks. We're going to talk about, for he is good. What does it mean that God is good? Is God always good? And what, is, what does that look like? And what does that mean? We're going to talk about his love enduring forever. What does it mean that it endures forever? What, what is forever talking about there? What, is it, what does it mean for his love to endure forever? And what does that look like? So today we start with this clause. We're going to begin with give thanks to the Lord. And then over the next few weeks, next couple weeks, we'll explore the other two clauses. But let's start there. Give thanks to the Lord. And I told you as I was preparing to teach uh, during this series, as I was thinking about Thanksgiving and as I was thinking about passages that we could look at, this passage just came to mind. That song that we sang uh, just popped up in my head. And I said, I want to explore this passage, this is such a powerful passage, and, and it's been on my mind as I begin to think about this and what this looks like, and especially as I began to think about Thanksgiving and getting ready for this time of year. Now, as we think about Thanksgiving, I'm sure all of us have begun to create some plans, right? We begin to think about what does it look like to have Thanksgiving? What, what, are, the, what are the pieces that are going, going to go into place with that? Uh, we don't necessarily always think about what we're thankful for as much as we think about the act of gathering together and having Thanksgiving. And maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, as you think about that and you think about your families, you think about gathering together, you're just thankful if everybody gets along as you talk at the table. You know, there aren't, there's nothing going on in the world today that could cause any kind of conflict at dinner tables, right? Not, not even a little bit. So we're all just kind of thankful that we get there. Maybe we'll all just get along. Uh, maybe we'll all stay healthy during the season. Maybe, maybe we'll all be okay. And so, you know, I, I don't know what things are looking like as you're beginning to make those plans, but maybe you have things already set. Maybe you have uh, everything in mind about what that's going to look like. You know, maybe you're traveling to see family. Maybe family is coming to see may, you. Maybe you've arranged plans with some friends, or maybe you plan for a quiet, simple day. Even if you have to wait a day or two to celebrate Thanksgiving, whatever you're planning, you'll most likely celebrate Thanksgiving in one way or another over the next couple of weeks from now. Now, our family, we've started to look at our plans. We've decided on a quiet morning at home. And one of my favorite things to do, it doesn't matter if we're somewhere else or if we're here at home on Thanksgiving, what I love to do, I love to come down. I love to turn on the Macy's Day, uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I like the tradition. And people are surprised by this, that I have this traditional part of me. Um, but I, I love the traditions. I, I like the floats and the balloons. I, I, I love the bands. Um, I just love everything that goes with it. I, I love the, uh, the end of the parade as, as Santa Claus comes in and the pinnacle of the parade ushering us into the Christmas season. 
And after the parade, I love the idea of getting ready for an afternoon of turkey and stuffing and pie. And I'm already hungry just thinking about it because I know it's all going to taste so good. And my heart is happy imagining those sounds, imagining the smell, the feelings that that day of Thanksgiving brings. I mean, I can literally feel the emotions that go with that. I can hear the TV on. I can see Santa Claus coming in and waving. I can see my kids still looking at the TV and celebrating the arrival of Santa Claus. I, I can just feel the warmth that goes with that day. And sitting at the table and laughter and food and all of those things. I also know Thanksgiving will look different this year. We've experienced loss and the holidays make something like that tougher. And so maybe you've been through some things as well. Maybe you're going through some things. One thing that I've learned to say and I learned from someone else is this phrase that I love to use is that everybody's got something big going on. We've all got something as we enter this season. Everybody's got something big going on. And so maybe while you come to the Thanksgiving table, maybe giving thanks is taking on a little bit of a different nuance this year. Or maybe you're in a great place. Maybe the things that you have going on in your lives, maybe things couldn't be better. Maybe the big thing going on isn't loss. Maybe the big thing that's going on in your life isn't some, some, something that's causing you to not feel as thankful. Maybe the big thing going on in your life is making you excited. Maybe it's bringing all kinds of hope. Maybe it's an excited reality that you have in front of you. However we enter this next moment, could be illustrated through, through this. And, and I'm going to grab something here, and if you're listening online, I realize this probably isn't the greatest illustration for you, but for everybody else, I have here, I'm going to sit on this coaster as well, I have here, and I think you, you'll be able to see that, I have, a, a, you know what, actually, that's not going to be real great because of the black screen. I have here this glass of apple juice, because I do love some good apple juice, and actually, I think this is a little more than half, so I'm going to, hmm, it's not Martinelli's, but it's still good. Hmm. All right, there. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's about halfway, right? Is that about halfway? Now, the question is, is this halfway full or is this half empty? Is this, this morning, as you look at this, the question I have for you is, is that glass half full, or is that glass half empty? Which one is it? Now, the answer to this question might be the result of the chemistry in our brains. We might look at this glass, and we might think some different things because of how we're raised. Some might say the way that we view this glass, we might view it from a pessimistic or an optimistic way. But again, Maybe the answer to this question is more situational. This glass that I have here might look half full or it might look half empty depending on what is happening in your life right now. The way that I thought about this as I wrote it in my notes, as I was putting my message together this morning, is this. The experiences we have today tend to impact how we tell the story of where we are where we have come from, and where we're going. Now listen to that again. The experiences that we have today, 
the big things going on, the experiences we have in our lives, tend to impact how we tell the story of where we are, how we tell the story of where we're going, how we tell the story of where we have come from, and usually frames the question then for us, is the glass of life half empty or is it half full? Now, before I get any further, this glass is actually going to become completely empty because I'm going to finish this apple juice real quick. And Jill's going to laugh at me, and she's going to say, wow, but I was thirsty. So that's just how things are going to go this morning. Now listen, let's continue this, because I, I really want to talk through this. I, I, I think this is so critical and so important to us. This, for me, this message, I think this series is really hitting home at a time that I need to be reminded of this. Last week on First Sunday, we read from a letter that we found in the New Testament. In that letter, it's called First Thessalonians, the author Paul was writing to a group of people. And this group of people, when they looked at that glass, they probably viewed it as half empty because they were experiencing what really was just intense persecution. This persecution was affecting every single area of their lives. It was affecting their social reality. It was affecting their economic reality. It was affecting their safety. It was affecting, and I want to think about this, it was affecting how they raised their children you know, sometimes we talk about the New Testament, we talk about the stories that are going on, we talk about things like persecution, we forget that we're not just talking about people who are just, you know, just, just, just these, these kind of, um, I think sometimes we just sort of think as these characters, but I think we forget that these are people, just like you and me. These are people with jobs. These are people with dreams. These are people with families. So, so the persecution, they're real. The big thing that they go, have going on in their lives is impacting their hopes and their dreams for themselves, their hopes and their dreams for their kids. It's impacting how they view and frame the world. And just like us, it's easy to look at everything around us and say everything is a dumpster fire, everything is a mess. This seems hopeless in front of me. You know, I think there's a good possibility that that's where a lot of these people were at because of this intense persecution that they were experiencing. Now, we find the story of this church's founding, this church in Thessalonica, it's, it, and what led to their persecution. We find this in the book of Acts. So I'm going to turn to the book of Acts real quick, and then we're going to come back to this Thessalonians letter, but I want to talk about their founding first. So we find that in Acts 17. Listen to this. It says, when Paul and his companions, this is Acts 17, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous 
So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. (laughs) Jason is apparently hosting this church, this brand new church community taking place in his house, in Jason's house, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. There's so much, so much going on here, and, and I, I don't want to take too long to get here, but I think this is incredible. Paul meets these people. He welcome, they, he's welcomed into a house. He begins this new church community. The, 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 the people come together, and the people who look at it and say, hey, we, we don't want this in our community. We, want, want, we don't want these people. These Christians are weird, and they look at things differently, and you know they get upset with them, and they, they, they drag Jason, these other believers, out of the house. They say they've defied Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king called Jesus. Man, just that line alone. Just that line alone. Why were they in trouble? Because they said, there's only one king of my life. And that king is Jesus. That king's not a politician. That king's not a rock star. That king is not me and my goals and desires. My king is Jesus. Let's get in trouble. Let's get in trouble more often with ourselves and with the people around us because we say, my king, my king is nobody else but Jesus. Now listen what happens. Paul and Silas were convinced to flee when this persecution started. So Paul began to write letters to the people in this church and city. Even though he wasn't with them, he wanted to encourage them in their circumstances. Now so, so Paul, Silas flee. He, he's encouraged by them. Hey, hey, take off, flee, go, 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 go. But listen, Paul... Paul isn't with them, but he wants to encourage these people. He knows what they're going through. He was with them. He started this church community. He knows them by their name. And here's some of what he wrote to them. And this is part of that letter that we read last week. It says 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, And we urge you, so Paul, Silas, Paul writing for, for Paul and Silas, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So he urges his brothers and sisters. I love that language. We urge you, brothers and sisters. Paul found this church. But Paul didn't just found and begin this new church. Paul didn't just start this new community. In that community, Paul found people who became to him like brothers and sisters. This is my prayer for our community. May we be the kind of people that when we gather together, 
whether it's on Friendsgiving or whether it's on a first Sunday or whether it's serving together, may we feel like we are coming together as a family. May we feel like brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul says here, brothers and sisters. He says, those who are idle, disruptive. He says, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak during this time. Be patient with everybody. Everybody's got something big going on, and it's hard. Be patient with people. He says, make sure that in this time, you know, don't, don't pay back wrong for wrong. You know, whatever these people are doing to you, don't, 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 don't lose your faith over it. Don't, don't lose the reality of how Jesus is working in you. Don't, don't be a jerk. That's what Paul's getting at. But always strive to do what is good for each other and, and for everybody else. Do, do good, regardless of what they're doing to you. Then he says these words, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance. So Paul wrote this to these suffering people. He laid out a path for a mindset. I love that he doesn't just say, this isn't how they should feel. This is how they need to act. Rejoice and pray. Give thanks in all circumstances. And that might sound easy to say, but Paul knew what it was like to experience persecution and suffering. He, he knew what it was like because he had been there at the beginning. But remember, Paul had also run away from this. So it's easy to look and say, well, wait a minute, Paul, you're not in the middle of that. You're not experiencing that. What's going on in your life? But in fact, right before he went to Thessalonica, Paul had an experience. And I think that experience framed so much of what he wrote to them and the way that he encouraged them. I want to look at this story real quick as we come to the end of the message today, because this story is, is going to frame so much of his words and so much of what he's telling them. We're going to go back to Acts 16, back to the book of Acts, Acts 16. The story is going to push a little bit against our modern sensibilities because the author takes for granted a way of looking at the world that we're not used to. And I don't want to ignore that. But I want to say, let's have that conversation later about some of the intricacies of what's going on in this story. Because I want to focus on what happens here and what we learn along the way as we continue to read and how we see this framing what Paul is saying to these people and saying to us. So Acts 16, listen to the story. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Now listen, I love this sentence. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, Jill, come back to this for a second, because I, I think this is one of those, those funny things here. He, Paul is being followed. I want you to imagine the scene. Paul is being followed, right? He's with his friends, and, they're, and they're, they're trying to go through the city, tell people about Jesus. This woman is yelling, and she just won't stop. Finally, Paul yells out, right? He turns around. It says, he was so annoyed. He became so annoyed that he turned around and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. Now, I don't know. 
I don't know if Paul believed what was about to happen. I don't know if when Paul said this, he was just annoyed and mad. I don't know if he was surprised at what happened, but it says this. It says, at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So things at this point aren't looking great for Paul and for Silas. But listen, look what happened next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately... He and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, sat a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Now, listen, I, I don't want to get too far into this, but I love the simplicity of this. How many people, when you're living your life, living out your faith, we talked about this at the end of our last series, captivating. Living our lives, just allowing people to see, listen, Jesus has changed my life. Because I have desired to become like Jesus. I have been saved because he is my Lord. I'm, I'm no longer making decisions on my own about my life and the way that I want my life to be because I'll make my life a mess. But, but I'm following Jesus and he's showing me the way of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And my life is better. It's different. It's saved. He has saved me. And listen, this guy looks and he says, listen, I, I want to experience this that you have. This experience that just took place, that you're still here, that you have all this joy that you were singing during, you know, what's going on in your lives? What, how can I be saved? And this is, this is what I want you to hear. What happens when someone comes to you and says, how, do I, how can I be saved? What does that look like? I think some of us have become so complicated we think that we're supposed to have some kind of uh, theological book that we're supposed to hand people. Now, I love theology. I love having a theological framework for life. I love building that structure. But listen, people are just simply asking you, how do I build the foundation? Where do I even get started? And any of us can begin there with people. If someone looks at you and they say, well, how can I be a part of this? How can I be saved? Listen to what he said to him. All he said was this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's it. That's all he said. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved. And he says, you and your household. And immediately, this guy was baptized. 
He brought them in before, in before them, set a meal, and he was filled with joy. Now listen, in another letter, Paul wrote these words. I wonder if the words that I'm about to read were on Paul's mind. Maybe he had begun to formulate, think, thought, you know, process all of these words and decided at midnight to pray and to, uh, to sing as he's sitting in that jail, despite his circumstances. Listen to what he wrote. Maybe, maybe this is how his heart was, was, was wired, and maybe this is what Jesus had done through him. In Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Paul says, we know. Paul is confident. Paul is secure in this knowledge. Paul has had enough experience with the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus to be positive about this. He has had enough experience with, with the goodness of God to say, hey, I know. I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, another translation could read, in everything, in everything, God is at work for good. In everything, God is at work for good. And what that means is, while I may not be able to give thanks for all the things that happen, okay? I'm not going to give thanks for all the things that happen. I can give thanks for everything for the confidence that God is always present and is always at work for good. So I'm not going to give thanks for all the things but I will give thanks that I know that God is with me and working for good amid all things. And that brings us back to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, these persecuted people. And the word all appears here again. Now listen again. He says to them, rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this. 16, verse 16 is rejoice always. 17 is pray continually. 18 is give thanks in all circumstances. Now, remember, we've talked about this before that the verse numbers were added later to these letters. Paul, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't write down these and say, okay, now this is chapter 5 of my letter, and this is verse 1. These were just letters. Chapters and verses were added later for us to help us to navigate and to, to be able to speak about this and create um, some order for us so we can find these different passages that we talk through. But for the, for the readers of this letter, this is, this is one long letter. And in that letter, then, these separate clauses, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, these aren't separate ideas. Paul is talking about here as one reality. That these aren't just feelings, these are things we do. And these are all three things that we do as one reality. Giving thanks praying, rejoicing together in all circumstances. And Paul says we live like that, we act like that. Um, it's going to sound weird, but we, we be that, okay? Joyful, praying, 
giving thanks. Not separate, not different, not, not I'm going to give thanks here, I'm going to be joyful here, I'm going to, no, 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 no. All together, one, one way of being, rejoicing always, praying continuously, giving thanks in all circumstances. Why, Paul says, he connects the idea, giving thanks, praying and rejoicing together, because that is exactly God's will. It's God's will for you because it is who we find in the very nature of God, a God who is with you and for you and working with you. See, if you believe that, like Paul said, if you believe, I know that God works together all things for God. I know that God is with me in all circumstances. I know that God is walking through this with me. I know that God knows I've got something big going on. He's not surprised by that. And God is with me amid those circumstances. And when I believe that, I know my God is way bigger than my circumstances. My circumstances will never outshadow my God. But my God will always overshadow things going on. Because I trust. See, if I, if I turn and I trust the bigger thing in life, which is my God, then I know that I can be confident in my circumstances. I know that I can rejoice. I know that I can give thanks. I know that I'm going to pray through those circumstances because I know that God is with me and working through this with me. That is why I give thanks. Now, we don't know exactly how the Thessalonians responded because obviously we weren't there when they read this letter from Paul. But in a second letter that Paul wrote to them, as, as he had correspondence with them, as he heard about some of the ways that they were dealing with, with the circumstances that they found themselves in, I, I love what Paul wrote because I think we see how they responded. Listen, listen to this. In 2 Thessalonians, the beginning of a second letter to them, after some time had passed, Paul wrote these words to them. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. And I love this passage because Paul is saying, look, you've taken my advice. You, you have taken what I said. You're, you're hearing what I'm saying to you. You're reframing and rethinking about these circumstances that you're experiencing. And now people are beginning to see it. You are captivating others with your joyfulness. You're captivating each other, other people with the way that you're giving thanks. You're captivating people with, with love for each other and for the people of your community in ways that nobody can explain. Because when you think about the circumstances you're going through, everybody's looking and saying, I can't believe that they're still going. I can't believe that they're still continuing on. Anybody else would have given up. People look and say, there's something those people have. Man, I got some big stuff going on too. I think I want what those people have. And Paul says, you're showing them Jesus. He says, you are showing your world, your faith in Jesus. So he says, we boast about you, your perseverance. 
the faith that you have. Even among these trials, this persecution you're facing, people are seeing Jesus in you. At the beginning of my sermon, when we read about the founding of this church in Thessalonica, we found that it was a diverse community. Paul had gone to a synagogue. This church was made up of Jews, but it was also made up of what it said was God-fearing Gentiles. So this was a diverse community of people. Now, as this community began to take Paul's advice, what I wondered was, well, maybe they went back to the scriptures. Maybe they, went, maybe, maybe they went back to passages that the Jewish brothers and sisters in this community began to share with their Gentile brothers and sisters in this community. See, the Jewish people had memorized some of these Old Testament passages, some of the songs that they sang as a part of their tradition and their faith. And I wonder if they began to share these words that they had recited in worship with their Gentile brothers and sisters. And I wonder if this was part of what helped them get through the reality that they were experiencing. It's the passage that we started out with today. And what I want us to do is, and I hope you'll do, is that you'll meditate on these words for the next few weeks and really focus on their meaning. It's so simple that you can, you can memorize it. I've been thinking it all, all this whole last week. Every day I've been saying it multiple times. And as I say it, it's our prayer this morning. May we be reminded to give thanks, to give thanks in all circumstances. May we reframe, retell our story, regardless of what's going on, whether that glass is half full, whether that glass is half empty, whether the big thing going on in your life is a good thing or whether the big thing going on in your life is scary. We give thanks among all circumstances because God is good. As this passage says in Psalm 136, that I have to think, man, as they were going through this hard time, maybe somebody said, hey, hey, guys, guys, there was this psalm. There were these words that we used to read. Maybe in this community, maybe they will be inspiring to us. Maybe they'll help us grow in our faith. And so I hope the same for you. May you meditate on these words as we continue to explore them over these next few weeks. Let's read this as our prayer. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Jill, leave that on the screen. And guys, I want everybody, wherever you are today, whether you're taking a walk and listening to this, whether you're sitting at home, wherever, if you're on your porch, where, wherever you are today, let's read this aloud. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Amen.